Welcome to Brandon Speaks. If you are looking for a fascinating podcast related to optimal health, rehabilitation, and human performance based on how the body actually works, that is authentic and at times a tad animated, you have come to the right place. Go grab a notebook, a pen, and some organic popcorn and get ready for a journey with your host as he discusses health-related topics and perhaps life in general based on research and his own practical clinical experience. The contents of this podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice. Please consult a licensed healthcare or functional medicine provider before embarking on any health, fitness, or dietary change. And now, here is your host, Brandon J. Alleman, owner and operator of Innate Movement and Wellness. Let's listen in and learn as Brandon speaks. All right, everyone. Holy crap. It's been an exceptionally long time since I've done one of these, but welcome to whatever episode this is. I'm going to call this episode 10. Maybe it's 10, maybe it's 11. I honestly have no idea because um, it's been uh, quite a skinny minute since I've actually recorded a podcast. Uh, but somewhere around there, we're, we're somewhere around episode 10 of Brandon Speaks. And today, I want to take a moment probably more than a moment to talk about pretty much everyone's favorite topic, particularly uh, within the female population. We're going to be discussing today female weight loss, right? Because that's really uh, the only thing that anyone cares about, at least uh, most of the women out there. Um, I do apologize for it being so long. I've had a couple of emails and uh, whatever you call those things on social media, when people contact you directly, like, yo, when are you going to do your next podcast? Yada, yada, yada. It's been just kind of a crazy, busy, I don't even know how long it's been, month, six weeks, something like that. I don't know. Work's been crazy with patients and clients. Um, and those of you who know me know that uh, during basketball season, things get really crazy for me because I do coach at the middle school level. We cranked that up a few weeks ago. Uh, we've actually got our... Uh, third game this evening. Pretty stoked about that. Uh, but anyway, want to jump back into it. Talk about female weight loss uh, because uh, over the years I've been doing this for about 20 years now. I've worked with a lot of females, honestly, on, on both the the health side and the you know whenever I f f first started out in doing the whole personal training fitness thing, and even now into you know really chronic pain rehabilitation type stuff probably at least 60 to 70 percent of my patient and client population is and has been females um, males usually don't want to have anything to do with their don't really pay attention to uh, their nutrition and lifestyle and things like that if it's not already part of their lifestyle unless something happens and their penis stops working um, that's usually the only time I get contacted by a male who says, yo, I need help with my food and my nutrition. You know, it's usually, uh, to be honest, it's usually an erectile dysfunction type of thing that's going on. Uh, that'll catch a man's attention and drive him to change, uh, pretty much anything in his life that needs to be changed in order to get that situation rectified. Uh, but women, uh, oftentimes have a lot more problems, um, you know, the analogy I usually give people is, you know, difference between amongst a bazillion differences between men and women. 
you know, men are a lot like, uh, you know, a pickup truck. You know, you can try to drive them into the ground, beat them up a good bit. You know, you don't really need to clean them all that often kind of thing. You know, they can take a beating and it's not that big of a deal. And it'll be kind of a long time before they start to break down. Females are more akin to like a high performance sports car. And you got to pay a little more attention to that. They need regular tune-ups. You got to pay a lot of attention to the, the type of fuel that you're putting into the system so on and so forth. Females are just more fragile uh, from a physiological and a hormonal perspective. I don't think there's anybody, you know, walking around with more than two neurons holding hands that would disagree with that. Uh, it's just the way the female body is set up. You guys have to pay more attention to yourselves because you have to survive uh, in the wild for at least nine or ten months in order to give birth and to be able to perpetuate the human race. If you wanted to, you could just go find another man. You know, not a big deal. Dime a dozen, pick one off the tree, make it happen. Uh, but you got to stay alive as a female for long enough to actually perpetuate the species. So uh, nature, God, whatever you want to call it, has kind of set it up so that women have to pay greater attention to themselves. And over the course of, you know, like I said, the last 20 years or so, when I see these females, uh, every single one of them, indicates at least as a primary or a secondary objective weight loss even if they don't even need to lose weight that's still a goal for whatever reason uh, maybe you know a lot of that's probably societal and cultural conditioning and social conditioning all this other kind of crap but it's always there's always a weight loss goal tied to anything that they're trying to do if trying to overcome chronic headaches yeah i want to get rid of my headaches but i want to lose weight <laughs> if you got a blown disc in your back yeah it'd be cool if my back didn't hurt but i really want to lose weight <laughs> Uh, you know, your left leg's falling off. It'd be cool if my left leg didn't fall off, but you know what? I really want to lose weight. Uh, so weight loss is, is all, you know, and, and really it's not even weight loss that, that they're after. They don't, and they don't even know that. What they're after is actually uh, a change in body composition. So a loss of fat mass and probably either a maintenance or an increase or an improvement in muscle mass or lean body mass, which changes your body composition. And sometimes you often, sometimes you might not even have to lose any weight over the course of time in order to change your body composition. We'll get into that. But uh, I'm hoping this one won't take too long. I mean, it probably will because, you know, short and concise is not my style. Uh, so whenever you're talking about, one thing I want to preface, fem you know, this, this whole concept of female weight loss with is that you know, regulating weight in the human body is not a very simple task, right? A lot of people in the health and fitness industry and in the, in the world of uh, nutrition and performance and all this kind of stuff, I, there's all sorts of stuff that gets put out there about, you know, uh, energy intake versus energy expenditure, basically like calories in versus calories out. And it's really that simple. Uh, it's not. I wish it were. It would make things a whole hell of a lot easier for people like me to, to figure out what the heck's going on with people whenever they can't seem to lose an ounce, no matter what it is they do. Um, but it's not as simple as a calories in, calories out game. That that can be a good starting point for people in, in some cases, but regulating weight is an incredibly complex homeostatic system within the human body. It's not just one thing versus another. It's a bazillion things happening all at the same time. There's a ton of homeostatic molecules, hormones, neurotransmitters, and all that kind of stuff involved, right? So 
you, you've got things like uh, insulin, of course, your, your thyroid hormone, uh, not only the thyroid hormone production, but your thyroid hormone utilization. Uh, things like CCK, which is cholecystokinin. You have CRH, uh, corticotropin releasing hormone. Uh, you know, your, your stress hormones, cortisol, uh, adrenaline, uh, or, or epinephrine and norepinephrine, whatever you want to call it. You've got neuropeptide Y. You've got glucagon-like peptide 1. You've got uh, uh, neurotransmitters like dopamine, hormones like leptin. Uh, ghrelin, you've got uh, adiponectin, you've got serotonin can be involved, uh, galanin is involved. Uh, there's there's a number of, of other ones that I'm skipping because I'm literally throwing this together again off the top of my head because it's been so long since I've done one and if I wait to have my thoughts together, I might never do another one. So the preface to all of this is that it's not quite as cut and dry and quite as simple as okay just eat this and don't eat that and you'll be fine if it was really that easy I doubt many people would have all that much of a weight issue okay or, or problems with their weight and you know it would just be a lot simpler but unfortunately you know the response of you know uh, yeah well it's really that simple eh. That doesn't really fit here, okay? So in terms of trying to lose weight, what the average person will do is usually starve themselves damn near half to death, right? They'll drop their caloric intake down to, you know, barely enough food to get Mickey Mouse's motorcycle around the inside of a Cheerio. And they'll do that while you know, either, you know, not changing much about what they're doing with their physical activity, or they may couple that with an increase in their physical activity, right? So come uh, here in a few weeks, uh, will be, it, it, it's all the rage. Well, I mean, who knows now, uh, I guess it depends on where you live and whether or not gyms are open and all this kind of crap with this uh, uh, supposed new virus that we got going around. But you know, come January 1st, January and February, gyms are chock full of people who are, you know, starting to increase their, or at least their plan is to increase their energy expenditure by going to the gym even more, right? So they're, they're going to, they're going to work out and they're going to expend more energy and that's calories out kind of a thing. And they're going to do that in some cases and in many cases while dropping their caloric intake, particularly in the female population, dropping their caloric intake to, you know, next to nothing. You know, the only carbohydrates they're going to eat for the course of the day is 10 licks of a dried prune. You know, or they're going to have uh, seven grains of rice uh, and smell uh, some sweet potatoes in the oven. And that's the carbohydrate intake for the day, right? So they're, they're trying to drastically drop their caloric intake, either doing that alone or coupling with, you know, some level of an increase in their physical activity. And on the surface, that seems like a very good idea. But a lot of times when people come to me for this kind of stuff, and I don't do a lot of straight weight loss type stuff anymore, because uh, that's kind of putting the cart before the horse. Because you, in fact, have to regulate your physiology and get yourself in a and get your, your your metabolism and your overall physiological state in a really healthy place in order to be able to lose weight. 
I've probably said that on a previous podcast before. If you if you're somebody who's listening who's worked with me as an individual, you've heard me say it, you don't lose weight in order to get healthy, you got to get healthy in order to lose weight. Uh, and that's been my stance for well over two you know the better part of two decades now and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, health is still the more important priority because you can't do anything without it. So there's a couple of ways that you can go about figuring figuring these things out in terms of well all right how much food or how what should my energy intake be by energy intake i mean caloric intake okay yes where the calories come from do matter and food selection is a big big deal and all that kind of stuff but in terms of trying to figure out like where you might start with caloric needs there's a couple of different ways I might do this with somebody, okay? For, and there's a number of different. The first way is to go about it in a very, you know, a, a, a pretty scientific and, and and specific way using really cool formulas and cool numbers and things like that. And there's a number of different formulas and uh, ways of calculating these things, right? So if you're if you're going to calculate, say your your resting metabolic rate. Uh, there's a formula, and I can't remember who put this one together, uh, but it's your body weight in kilograms, and more specifically, it's actually your lean body mass in kilograms, uh, times 22 plus about 500, which gives you your, your resting metabolic rate, which would basically be your energy expenditure or how many calories you're going to burn if you're kind of just waking up and, in, and existing and you're not really doing much. Okay, so if we use myself as an example, uh, right now in terms of lean body mass, I've probably got about, uh, about, 90, uh, about, 82, about 82 kilos of lean body mass on me. Uh, at this, as of this exact moment, I weigh precisely uh, 90 kilos, so I'm just a shade under 200 pounds at the moment. Um, you know, I'm probably around eight and a half, nine percent body fat, something right there. I haven't haven't measured it in a couple months. Um, so I've probably got about nine, eight or nine kilos worth of fat mass on me. Say it's say it's nine kilos worth of fat mass, and I weigh ninety. If I say ten percent body fat, uh, ninety kilos times ten percent is nine. Cool, ninety minus nine because I'm taking fat mass out of it to leave only what's you know lean body mass uh, plus water and stuff like that but you know I'm coming out about 81 kilos of lean mass 81 kilos times 22 I'm not smart enough to do that math so I'm going to pull this up on the old uh, calculator uh, 82 uh, times 22 uh, plus 500 gives me around 2300 calories for a resting metabolic rate Okay, so on top of that, I would also have to calculate what my activity is burning, right? So how many calories do I burn whenever I go to the gym, right? So in this particular formula, and again, I can't remember the person who put this one together, uh, but in this particular formula, it's your body weight, again, in kilograms. So if you're trying to figure out your body weight in kilograms, you just divide your body weight by 2.2 because there's 2.2 pounds uh, in, in, a kilo, in, a, in a kilo. So your body weight in kilograms times the number of hours that you train 
in a given week times something that's called uh, a met value, right? Which is just an activity value that's given to whatever type of activity you're doing, right? So you can you could Google this kind of crap. Um, there's a met value for everything. You know what I'm saying? There's a met value for jogging or like a low intensity running. There's a met value for uh, circuit type training or like a CrossFit kind of type of workout. There's a met value for intense free weight lifting. There's a met value for, you know, high intensity and low intensity cycling. Whatever it is you do for your physical activity or your exercise has a met value for it. Um, so I, if I'm not mistaken, the met value for uh, like intense free weight lifting is like six, maybe it's seven, I can't remember. But to figure that out, I would do 90 kilos because it's your entire body weight times uh, the hours. For me, my training sessions don't last longer than 45 minutes. It's just a rule I have for myself, excluding warm up and cool down. So that's, uh, what is that? That's, that's, that's three... 45 minutes was at three-fourths of an hour, so 75 hundredths of an hour uh, times uh, six because that's the med value or six or seven, whatever, uh, for intense free weight lifting because that's what I do. Um, and that comes out to some odd number. Okay, so let's see, 90 uh, times 0.75 times six. I can get into the gym and burn about 400 calories while I'm lifting, All right? So... If my resting metabolic rate is 2,300 calories a day and I'm going to the gym that day and I'm going to burn 400, 2,300 plus 400 that day, I'm going to burn 2,700 calories, right? So I got to pretty much take in 2,700 calories just to break even. Now I'm about the activity cost of, you know, what it might, what it might cost you to, to be walking around during the day and I'm going to leave out things like uh, the thermic effect of food. And all this stuff uh, that I might do with somebody who was actually trying to to put on some weight, um, or uh, something that I might do with, uh, with with somebody who comes to me who's a, a competitive athlete. Um, so those are two kind of simple. Well, that's one formula, but it's two things you have to take into consideration. Two formulas to to come out with some some number, some baseline, some starting point for, for where you're going to be. Now, if I'm being totally honest, I don't use that a lot. There's another formula. I believe it's, it's called uh, Aragon's for, uh, equation, which is uh, your body weight in pounds times um, your training intensity. And in, in, in that formula, the training intensity ranges from 8 to 11. Uh, I think 8 is... Uh, like moderate intensity weightlifting at two to three times a week kind of thing. And an 11 intensity would be like a really elite athlete who's training pretty much all the damn time, uh, you know, with a significant purpose to what they're doing. Uh, so it's your body weight times uh, your training intensity plus the number of hours that you do that in a week, right? So in the, in the previous formula that I gave you, uh, it was I was at like around 20, 2,700. In this formula, if I do it, my body weight is 200 pounds, and I'm multiplying that by my training intensity, which would probably be for me about a 10, because when I do get in the gym, I do bust ass. 
Uh, and I give myself a 10 because, in my personal opinion, I deserve that because I'm kicking the living shit out of myself when I'm in there for 45 minutes straight up and down. And I'm going to do that for a total of three hours a week because I usually try to do that 45 minutes a day, four times a week. If I'm not mistaken, that's, that's an hour and a half times two. That's three hours total for the week in four training sessions. So if I, do, if I plug myself into this formula, it comes out that about 2,600 calories uh in a, in a given day uh, assuming i'm going uh, I'm, I'm going to the gym and you can extrapolate this kind of stuff out over the course of a week right so if it's you know 2600 a day whatever 2600 times seven is you know in the course of a week if i'm looking to kind of stay where i'm at I might, I definitely have to consume at least 18,200 calories in a, in a week, right? And then if you, you know, simply dividing that by seven, you come out to your 2,600, right? Now, if I'm being totally honest with most of the people that see me, I don't use either one of those two formulas. I might do that with someone who is a, a weekend warrior or somebody who trains pretty regularly and they're, they're pretty uh, focused on it. And it's something that they take uh, fairly seriously. Uh, but an easier, I say an easier way, but a, another way to do this, particularly if your weight hasn't changed much. Okay, so if your weight is fluctuating a lot and it's bouncing up and down and you're you know, up five pounds this week and you're down seven pounds next week and you're up three pounds and you're down two pounds and you're up four pounds and your weight's been fluctuating a lot, all right, sometimes these formulas can give you some semblance of guidance of numbers that you might want to attempt to hit on a consistent basis in order to get things to normalize for you a little bit but for a lot of people their weight just simply hasn't changed right it's been it's been what it is for however long so for people who have weight that has been consistent for say whatever two three months maybe even longer and they haven't really changed much about what they're eating and they haven't really changed much about their exercise program i'll just have them do a three to five day log of what they're eating and calculate that out right because if if your weight hasn't changed then what you're eating your your what you're eating and the amount of exercise you're doing your intake versus your expenditure your body's kind of somewhat balanced that out to some degree and it's not affecting your weight that much so you can log that over the course of, I usually do a minimum of three days. Five is probably a little bit better. Try to include a weekend day because sometimes people, you know, kind of blow things out on the weekends for whatever reason. Um, and factor all that in. Add it, you know, add it. If you do three days, add it all up, divide by three. If you do five days, add it all up, divide by five. And get your average caloric intake for a given day during the time that you're, you know, if you're in a period of time where your weight has been relatively consistent. Okay, then from there, let's say, just for shits and giggles, that number comes out to 2,000 calories a day just for easy math, okay? Um, from that point, you know, if somebody's logged three to five days and they're taking in 2,000 calories a day and their weight hasn't moved for three months or so, from that point, if you're trying to lose weight, I would probably start most people out with subtracting maybe 5% of that total caloric intake. And then obviously if somebody was trying to gain weight, which is, you know, one out of every several hundred people that might contact me, uh, you could add 5%. Um, 
going more than 5% at a time. You know, some people say you can go 7%, you can push 10%. Sometimes that's a little quick. It kind of depends on the person. Uh, I'll usually have them also do temperature and pulse readings at certain times of the day whenever they're doing their three to five day food log to kind of peg that kind of stuff out and see uh, what's happening. Um, depending on what their temperatures and pulse say, I may say, look, you're not in a position to be able to cut seven or ten percent from this. You can't go from 2,000 calories a day to 1,500 a day and think that's going to do you good just because you're dropping your expenditure by that much. Right, you're talking about a 25, what is that, 25% cut in caloric intake. That's a radical move. Probably not going to do very many beneficial things for your overall phys physiology, both short and long term. So usually I only recommend something around 5% of a cut. So, you know, whatever. Again, mathematics has been a long time. Uh, you know, 5% of, of 2,000 is, is, is 100. You know, so you might be dropping from... 2,000 calories a day to 1,900 calories a day. And usually I'll have people hold around a given caloric mark for at least two weeks to see what's happening, right? Because, you know, very few things happen in a day or two, right? If you're, if you're 30 or 40 pounds overweight, that didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a couple of weeks, and hopefully it didn't happen in a couple of months. It happened over a long period of time, and a lot of the body's um, enzyme cycles, some of the hormone cycles, uh, all these things kind of cycle on, on, on two-week periods of time, give or take. So I'll usually have people hold at a given spot for at least two weeks before they make another change to see whether or not it's working, right? Um, at that point, you can say, okay, look, this, it's, it's, it's not really working. And you'll have logs, and there's really no way to get around logging what you're doing, especially in the beginning. Uh, yes, the goal is to get someone all the way to the point to where they can do kind of this, you know, intuitive eating thing. I don't log what I eat a whole lot anymore uh, unless I feel something is significantly off or I'm noticing changes in the gym that I don't like for me personally. Um, and everybody has, you know, their own individual subjective markers that they've they've got to keep under their hat in order to know, you know, if those things start going by the wayside. All right, it's time to check in. Let me put myself on a two or three day log. Let me see where I'm at, see what I'm doing and how things might need to be changed. I don't do a lot of that anymore uh, because to be honest with you, I don't really have to. Uh, I've done it. I, I did that stuff ad nauseum for years. I've got I've got food logs from three straight years of logging everything you can imagine with food and macronutrient ratios and you know nutrient timing and all this kind of stuff. So I've put in the work and I can kind of tune into my own body and know what's happening. Most people can't do that, particularly early on in in the in the initial stages of healing. There's, there's too much of a disconnect between uh, themselves and their own body and the signals that their body is trying to send. They're not accurately interpreted very well. And so just kind of trying to you know be intuitive about it uh, doesn't really work all that well. Plus, you know, people, you know, not so much anymore because I've got a system in place where I don't really see people like this, but you'll get people that will try to convince themselves of it, oh, well, I mean, I was trying to listen to my body, and my body said I was craving a 10-stack of pancakes from Waffle House. Okay, n n no, that's, uh, that's not going to work. 
doesn't matter what you what you're what you you were craving in that particular situation doesn't mean that's going to do you any any service right so the whole plug in your numbers into to whether it's you know Aragon's equation or uh, the other one for resting metabolic rate with the med values and I can't I can't remember who did that whether it's that or to be honest most people I would say if your weight's been reasonably consistent put yourself on a three to five day log use some freaking app somewhere whatever uh, I know my fitness pal is a is a is a pretty popular one that a lot of my people use um, I don't care what somebody uses to do that um, log it see where you are and then from there you can potentially say all right I've been consistent here for a few months my weight hasn't changed I can cut five percent off of what I'm doing give that a couple of two or three weeks and see where I'm at and go from there now having said all of that I will say that this whole calories in versus calories out game the more metabolic damage somebody has sustained over the course of time if they put themselves on severely restricted diets over the course of you know whatever they, they've bounced around from diet to diet for, for 10 or 15 years They've been super calorie restricted for a long period of time. They've had periods of time where they didn't give a shit and they ate whatever they want. They've had other periods of time where they were trying to follow so-and-so's diet. They, they fasted for X amount of days in a week all the time. Or they're doing intermittent fasting and all this, in my opinion, ridiculous shit that's out there that doesn't really help anybody do anything other than create a hell of a lot of chaos within their, within their physiology. The calorie, the, the more of that someone has sustained and done over the course of time, the less this whole calories in, calories out game works. I'll give you a perfect example. And for those of you who have access to my members, uh, my members site, uh, I wrote about this. It's a case history, I believe, in the temperature and pulse document. Uh, but I had a lady that came to me. Uh, this was, oh man, uh, probably seven or eight years ago. Uh, but this was a, a, a perfect case history. Uh, that proved uh, a very valid point, which I'm trying to make in this moment. So this particular individual was, uh, I want to say she was 30, she was either 36 or 39 years old, can't remember off the top of my head, but super active, super, super active. She was a CrossFit instructor at the time, and she had been doing that for several years. She was also a swim teacher. She taught swimming lessons uh, for uh, little ones and and you know people of all ages she was a swim instructor she always she was just a big fitness enthusiast everything she did she was either teaching crossfit teaching swimming teaching an aerobics or a spin class something stupid amounts of output in terms of energy right she was expelling energy left right and center she was always physically active right she got a hold of me from another uh, client that i worked with that you know, had a couple of good things to say about me, uh, which, you know, I appreciate. Um, and her gig was, I can't drop any weight. I said, okay, well, give me, uh, give me a five day log. You know, let's see where you are. Let's see what you've been doing. Her weight had been consistent. It hadn't moved in a while. Um, and we did she did the five day log came back. I ran it through all the stuff that I run it through whenever I look at people's logs and it turned out her average caloric intake on a given day was about 911 calories now if you plug that into 
these uh you know energy intake versus energy expenditure formulas you know she should have been losing a massive amount of weight pretty rapidly because she's taking in 900 calories a day and she's putting out three or four times that amount because she was literally exercising you know three four five hours a day because that's what she did that was her job essentially Uh, she was only taking in 900 calories a day expending way more than that weight not budging at all Uh, she had actually put on a couple of pounds in in the recent uh, months uh, before she contacted me Uh, and in the in the article that's on my member site i talk about exactly what we did Uh, i even gave the samples of her food logs and her temperature and pulse logs and exactly what we did with her caloric intake she basically is a situation where she was not eating enough food to lose weight she basically put herself in a starvation situation and her body was going to basically hold on to everything it possibly could because it was in a survival state. Right. So over the course of time, I believe she worked with me for it was around nine months where she went. She actually doubled her caloric intake. She went from 1900, uh, she went from 900 to 1900 or 18 or 1900 over the course of about nine months, uh, which is increasing you know, a, a hundred. We did. We didn't do a hundred uh, per month, but over the course of a month, it ended up being averaging out to around a hundred calories increase in daily expenditure per month over a nine-month period of time, just to get her to the point where she could actually be healthy enough to lose any weight. And if I remember right, in the first couple of months, she actually went up a few pounds, which I did warn her was going was was likely to happen. And it did, but she stayed the course. And I think over the course of that nine-month period of time, she ended up dropping like 12 or 14 pounds, which was you know right around what she wanted to lose. I think she wanted to lose like 10 pounds, but couldn't get it done. Uh, so that's that's I I just mentioned that to highlight the I don't know the word I'm looking for here, but some of the inadequacies that may exist within this calories in versus calories out model. If it was just as simple as saying, okay, I got to burn more than I take in. And as long as I do that, I'm going to lose weight no matter what. I don't agree with that. Uh, And the reason I don't agree with that is because my personal practical and clinical experience shows me that the more metabolic damage somebody has sustained, the less likely that is to apply to them. It just doesn't work. Right, because in yeah, I've seen people, and that one case history is just one example. But I've seen lots of females who are literally beating the hell out of themselves in the gym, seven, eight, nine, ten hours a week between weight training and cardio and doing this and doing that, and they're barely eating any food. I mean, they they don't eat the amount of food that my four-year-old eats, right? And he weighs forty-three pounds. Now, yes, he's growing. And he's young and all that good stuff. But the, the, the point somewhat remains, right? So if you're not eating enough and you've sustained a lot of metabolic damage like that, the whole calories in versus calories out game may not be your friend. You know, so you might find yourself crunching the numbers on some of these formulas and be like, yo, I don't understand. I'm, I'm at a, I'm at a, a 200 calorie a day deficit, you know, over the course of a week that's, that's a 1,400 calorie a day a week deficit. In a few weeks, I should lose at least a pound based on the numbers. 
Because I think somewhere somebody came up with, you know, a pound is whatever, 3,500 or 3,800 calories or some shit or another. I couldn't even tell you because I don't even pay attention to that crap anymore. Um, but, all right, I need a 3,500 calorie deficit in order to drop a pound. Well, I should have that every two or three weeks based on these numbers. And I've been doing this for six months and the scale hasn't budged. So the numbers don't pan out. What gives? All right, well, what gives is particularly for females, there are a ton of roadblocks that can sabotage weight loss. Okay, and it's not just for females. The same thing can happen with males. It's just it tends to be a little more pronounced in the females because, as I mentioned at the outset of this podcast, females are more hormonally and physiologically fragile. That's just the way it works. All right, so there's all sorts of stuff that can get in the way of being able to actually lose the weight that you're trying to lose right and one of the first things so i'm going to go through some of my potential roadblocks to optimal weight loss or fat loss uh, for a female now this also is not taking into account body composition we're just purely going on like scale weight type of thing here right and for a lot of people that's what they want to see they want to see a drop in the scale uh, but you know to, to get the to get the change in the way you look, you know, people want to be put on the what I used to call the look good naked program. Right? Most people they go to the gym or participate in some level of exercise. Uh yeah, there's there's a you know, there's a physical goal behind it. You know, I want to increase my you know, my cardiovascular capacity, whatever. I want to keep my heart and cardiovascular system healthy or, you know, uh, I want to lift weights because I want to be able to challenge myself and I want to get a little bit stronger. You know, I want to be able to play with my kids and my grandkids or whatever the case may be. But behind all that, once you once you strip all that stuff away, you get to you get to asking people questions like, yeah, I just want to look better without my clothes on. Which, I, by the way, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, you know, if I'm being totally honest with everybody who's listening, one of the primary reasons I go to the gym is because I want to look good whenever I'm not wearing any clothes. Uh, I have other things that I'm after. You know, certain functional markers, certain strength markers that I'm looking to be able to hit and keep at all times. Uh, and, and, and I want to keep myself, you know, active and mobile and all that good kind of stuff. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I also am after an aesthetic result as well. And that's what most people are after. And that really brings into, into the picture accounting for body composition. You know, because if you're a certain weight at, you know, whatever, 20% body fat, you're going to look completely different if you're the exact same weight at 14% body fat or, you know, whatever. If you're leaner at the same body weight, you're going to look completely different, even though the scale hadn't budged, right? So sometimes, you know, you can use things like how your clothes fit and all that kind of stuff as a sort of a better, not maybe not a better gauge, but a different gauge on whether or not you're making changes to your body that are beneficial for you. From an aesthetic standpoint, right? But so there's lots of things that can stop or get in the way of that actually happening. Okay, so the first thing is dysglycemia, which is not being able to regulate your blood sugar. Right now, I've, I've done an entire podcast, I don't remember what episode it was, and I've also written about this for those of you who have access to my member site, which you can get to. Uh, from uh, my website uh, there is a fee associated with that but it's it's a it's a one-time fee it's good for at least a year and usually I let people just pay the one-time fee and you get it pretty much forever uh, but uh, I have a, a tw- I have a 26 page article that I've written on this on, on the importance of blood sugar regulation and how that plays into 
uh, weight normalization and just health in general. Um, and it's that's actually a, a, an excerpt of 26 pages that is going to be in a book if I ever finish the damn thing. Um, but if you don't regulate your blood sugar, you're not likely to drop any weight at all, pretty much ever, regardless of what numbers you're getting from these formulas and what you're trying to do to hit certain markers right because if your blood sugar is bouncing up and down all day long high to low high to low etc your hormone levels are going to be doing the same thing your stress hormone levels are doing the same thing your 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 anabolic and catabolic hormone balance is going to be all out of whack usually that's going to translate into some pretty piss poor sleep patterns if you're not sleeping well that's going to create an issue for uh, weight normalization. I talked about that in the another previous podcast on sleep, where I went into some of the details about uh, the direct correlation between uh, compromised sleep and obesity, not just in the United States, but pretty much globally, if you look at the statistics. Um, so regulating your, there's, there's very, that's, that's first and foremost, number one, that's the first thing anybody who wants to lose any weight needs to be able to do. They need to be able to effectively regulate their blood sugar. And what that comes down to is being able and knowing what you should be eating, when you should be eating it, and in what combination you should be eating it, and what the timing should be like. So that's food selection, macronutrient ratios, in other words, how much carbohydrate, proteins, and fats do you require at each meal to kind of maximize your metabolic efficiency, and what should your meal frequency be like? You know, should you be eating every four hours, every three hours, every five hours? You know, what's the deal for you, right? All of those things have to be figured out if you want to be able to effectively regulate your blood sugar, okay? I've mentioned that in the previous podcast. If you want to know whether or not you're effectively regulating your blood sugar, you can, of course, test your blood sugar using a glucometer from your choice of pharmacy that you can go buy it from. And you check your blood sugar level first thing in the morning, before lunch, before dinner, and before you go to bed. And if those numbers are all somewhere between 80 and 100, you're probably doing a half-decent job of regulating your blood sugar pretty well. You could also use body temperature and pulse. Uh, first thing in the morning before you get out of bed, sometime between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., and then last thing before you go to sleep. And if you're seeing big changes in your temperature and pulses during those three times, there's a pretty good chance you're not regulating your blood sugar very well. As a matter of fact, if it's more than a three-tenths of a degree variance, uh, some people would say you could push that to like a half a degree, you know, so you got a half a degree difference in your temperature, and your pulse can do any number of things. But if your temperatures are varying at those three times of the day and and before before bed, then there's a pretty good chance that your blood sugar is not being effectively regulated throughout the course of a day. That's going to be problematic if you're trying to lose weight, because that's going to make it very hard for you to manage your insulin level. That's going to make it very hard for you to manage your stress and catabolic hormone levels. It's going to make it very hard for you to be able to do anything that's beneficial for dropping excess weight. Okay, so dysglycemia or poor blood sugar regulation is roadblock number one. I mean, I guess before that would be like, you know, roadblock number one would be eating crappy food, right? You know, I would assume that kind of goes without saying, but I guess I need to say it. You know, if you're, it takes life to give life. 
So if the food that you're eating is more dead than you are, then you have to use your life force to enliven that food. And over the course of time, all that does is produce an energy drain on your overall system. So quite literally, you're sucking the life out of your own soul whenever you're eating food that's more dead than you are. You know, people oftentimes get pissed off at me whenever I say stuff like that. They're like, oh man, that's a little bit harsh. I don't care if it's harsh or not. It's true. Um, you know, If we're going to get down to brass tacks here, it, it, it takes life to give life. So if you're eating just you know food that comes in boxes and bags and cans, all that shit's dead. There's, there's nothing beneficial in there. Nothing. And just because your boxed food says organic, that don't mean shit either. I'm not going to get into that. Could that be a little better than, you know, something that's complete trash? Maybe. I don't know. Depends on what it is. But if it's in bags and boxes and cans, it's probably not doing you a whole hell of a lot of good, regardless of what's on the label. Because uh, they, can, they can fudge a label 700 ways to Sunday nowadays. All right, so I guess prerequisite or roadblock number one would be, you know, don't eat crappy food, right? Stay away from the quote-unquote standard American diet kind of stuff. Avoid the freaking food guide pyramid like the plague because that's designed to fatten people up. You know, they use the same kind of situation to fatten cattle. So it's a very effective tool uh, used in human farming, uh, whenever you can create a, a food guide pyramid that is just completely asinine and unbelievably ridiculous for an innumerable reasons. And then you get a group of people who are supposed to be smart to peddle that food guide pyramid out as the best way to feed someone or to feed a country are a populace of people and then all hell breaks loose right with disease and i mean just go have a look at the statistics of anything nowadays um so food selection yes roadblock number one dysglycemia and not regulating your blood blood sugar another roadblock thyroid function will be another roadblock mainly because a lot of your hormonal physiology is driven through the thyroid Right, so a lot of women, when they can't drop weight, they go to their whatever. They go to their uh, OBGYN because they think it's a hormone problem, and you know they run blood labs on their hormones, which is a terrible idea for reasons that I don't have time to get into. But they run blood labs on their hormones, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, you got this hormone problem here. Take this birth control pill, or here's this uh, synthetic progesterone that we can put you on, which actually." behaves more like estrogen in the body than it does progesterone uh, here's all this hrt type stuff and and try you know throwing hormone plastering yourself full of hormone creams and all kinds of shit to try to balance your quote unquote <laughs> balance your hormones and that's why you can't lose weight well your hormones are driven through thyroid physiology when you when you really understand how the body works um, and then a lot of that is also driven from the food that you're eating. Right? You can't you can't produce proper hormone levels if you're eating tons of foods that are disrupting your hormone levels. You have foods coming in that are, you know, full of xenoestrogens and plasticizers and all these things that behave like estrogens in the body, and 
you can't figure out why your physiology is going crazy and why your skin is not what it used to be or why your cycle is going berserk or why you can't sleep or having hot flashes or whatever the case may be and you're 26 years old and you've been told you're going through uh, pre-menopause or perimenopause. I've seen numerous females in their mid-late 20s already being told they're going through menopause at 27, 28 years old. I'm not kidding. That's not a joke. And the solution is completely stupid in my opinion. Just throw a bunch of pills at the problem, slap some creams on yourself and hope for the best. That's dumb. You know, to be blunt, which I'm pretty good at, that's dumb. It's completely stupid. None of these people ever look at what they're eating, how they're eating it, what their what their blood sugar regulation is like during the day, how they're actually living life itself. All, none of that's ever looked at. It's like, oh, blood lab says this. Here, slap this on yourself. Rub this into your, uh, you know, arms and legs a couple, two or three times a day, and uh, yeah, let's let's hope for the best. Doesn't ever work, right? You're putting the cart before the horse, right? So to regulate female female hormonal physiology you actually have to regulate thyroid physiology so you have to be eating foods that actually support proper thyroid function you can't have proper thyroid function without regulating your blood sugar effectively why because if you're not regulating your blood sugar effectively that means your cortisol levels are all over the place cortisol is a glucocorticoid its job is to run around and you know break down musculoskeletal tissue and try to convert that stuff into uh, glucose in order to bring blood sugar back up whenever it's too low. That's one of cortisol's functions, right? And the higher your cortisol levels are, and they can go up because of low blood sugar levels, but they can also go up secondary to any other stressor that you may experience, physical, mentally, men, uh, physical, mental, chemical, uh, psychic, nutritional, or thermal. Higher your cortisol levels are, cortisol decreases T4 to T3 conversion. Basically, it makes it more difficult for your thyroid to do, for your thyroid hormones to do what they're supposed to do. Thyroid hormone doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Overall metabolic rate's not going to be where it needs to be. Overall hormonal balance is not going to be where it needs to be. Metabolic efficiency is not going to be where it needs to be. So on and so forth. Going to make it really difficult to drop any weight or change your body composition in any real capacity if that's off to a significant degree of any kind. All right, so thyroid function is a big deal. Now, there again, also something that conventional medicine happens to drastically misunderstand. Female has trouble losing weight or she's gaining weight, can't figure out, oh, it must be my thyroid. Go to the doctor, run a blood lab for the thyroid, a couple of other things. Oh, yeah, it's a thyroid issue or it's usually not a thyroid issue, but that's what they get told and then they get put on Synthroid, which is a T4. And I've, I've been through that in a previous podcast, so I won't do it again. But that almost never works in my experience. Right? Again, cart before the horse, not really paying attention to foundational factors. Right? So you got your, your, your roadblocks so far have been um, you know, food selection, regulating your blood sugar, thyroid function is a roadblock, detoxification issues are a roadblock. So are gut issues. Those kind of will, will end up kind of going hand in hand. If you've got tons of issues in the gut, whatever that may be, right? Most people have what 
circles around being called uh, leaky gut syndrome. Most people have most people have guts that are leaking for a number of different reasons that again they don't have time to get into. Uh, but they got gut issues that leads to thing that that'll lead to overtaxing the immune system. That'll overtax the detoxification si- system, put an excess burden on the liver. All sorts of stuff, detoxification issues and gut issues, boom, they go hand in hand. If you have a detoxification issue, guess where the human body stores toxins? I think it's the same for pretty much any mammal. Uh, they store toxins in fat. All right, so if you're trying to lose fat, you have to be able to, to 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 do that. You have to be able to clear the toxins that are stored in it. And if the liver's backed up because you're eating things that an intelligent animal wouldn't even eat. And, you know, your average meal has 632 chemicals in it that the liver has to deal with. And your phase one and phase two detoxification pathways are overloaded. It's going to make it very difficult for you to be able to lose any weight because the liver is already looking at a line that's, you know, 10 miles out the door of toxic chemicals that it has to detoxify. So being able to drop weight is not exactly a high priority at that point. And oftentimes that'll happen whenever people get on whatever new protocol they're doing. If they're actually successful to some degree and they start losing weight and they lose five or six pounds and then they just plateau out and don't go anywhere beyond that point, no matter what it is they do. Could be a detoxification issue. Could also be a gut issue or both. Right. Another roadblock is just simply, as I mentioned earlier with that example of the case history, is just not eating enough food. You actually have to eat enough food in order to be able to lose weight. Crash diets and, you know, I don't really pay much, a whole hell of a lot of attention to anything that comes out of the World Health Organization because, in my opinion, they're full of the biggest shit in most instances. But uh, I believe, and I can't remember when this was, this was a while back when I looked into it, they had somewhere around, uh, if they were looking at caloric intakes that constituted starvation, they said anything below, I think it was like 1,800 or maybe even 2,000 calories a day constituted basically starving oneself. And the number of women that I've seen coming to me who are eating 1,000, 1,200 calories a day is astounding. All right, so technically, that's, you know, if 2,000 calories a day, below 2,000 constitutes starvation, and you're only eating 1,000 calories a day, you're 50% of, you're, you're 50% below starving. Okay. That's not good. You're not going to be able to run any level of your physiology to any significant or efficient degree eating that little amount of food. It's just not going to work. Now, you're going to have to intelligently go about increasing that to a sustainable level and something that your body can actually uh, work with. You can't just say, oh, well, I've been eating 1,000 calories and 1,800. I need to get to 1,800. Let me do that tomorrow. Uh, Probably a bad idea. Okay. So crash diets and, and crazy calorie restrictions or skipping meals uh, kind of thing, that's another huge, huge roadblock to being able to actually lose any any amount of weight. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Well, you can't do it if you're simply not eating enough food. Right? And it doesn't take very long for your physiology to kind of go haywire whenever you are restricting calories like that 
like cutting calories, skipping meals, and all that kind of stuff, you consider that within 24 hours of going on a, a, a really crash diet or a low low calorie diet like that, you immediately begin to change and deplete some of your neurotransmitters and, and uh, you, you're basically depleting your brain chemistry at that point. And also doing that, crash dieting and massive calorie restriction has been shown to increase the number of uh, lipogenic enzymes in the body. Lipogenic enzymes are enzymes that help the body store fat. Now as a female, I believe if it's uh, Deborah Waterhouse in her book, Outsmarting the Female Fat Cell. She talks about this. Females have three times the amount of fat storing uh, enzymes as they do fat burning enzymes. So they're already three to one on the lipogenic versus the lipolytic enzyme in the body. And as soon as they start dropping calories to you know significant calorie restriction, they just magnify and increase the amount of fat storing enzymes that the body is using. And if it's not Deborah Waterhouse, then it's uh, Julia Ross and her book, The Diet Cure, which is actually a pretty good one. Both of those books are excellent reads. Uh, they're quite old at this time. I'm pretty sure The Diet Cure has numerous additions to it. Deborah Waterhouse's book, Outsmarting the Female Fat Cell. Uh, I, read the, I read the first one. I don't know if she's had another one since then. Uh, it was a pretty good read. Uh, Julia Ross is the author of The Diet Cure, uh, which... You know, I'm not much for diet books, but uh, I do like that one. Uh, so basically, I mean, in a nutshell, what I'm saying is all these crash diets, cutting calories, skipping meals, they can, you know, eating like that, number one, can not only create problems physiologically, but it usually leads to the mother of all binges, right? You end up binge eating on the week. You don't eat anything during the week, and then you celebrate your starvation on the weekend by, you know, eating the house, that doesn't help anything you know skipping meals cutting calories is also a great way to set yourself up for nutrient deficiencies whether they're going to be qualitative or quantitative deficiencies so you're not going to be getting in enough of certain nutrients if you're not eating enough food and not only that what the body does with the nutrients that you do give it, it also starts to suffer right so anybody who's got a, a, a history of chronic yo-yo dieting or long-term use of you know, some of these crazy dietary strategies and even, uh, you know, being on certain medications for an extended period of time, you're likely to have pretty severe nutritional deficiencies of some kind. And those things tend to show up in cases whenever you run like an ion panel on somebody, which is like it's called an individual optimized nutrition panel. Those are quite expensive. Um, or you run like an oats test, an organic acids test, and you can start to see some of these deficiencies show up in people's physiology because they've been depleted for so long. Right, so crash diets and cutting calories and all that kind of stuff, another roadblock to the very goal that someone's trying to accomplish. Uh, hormonal imbalance is another one, and I kind of already covered that one going through uh, the thyroid issues. Right, But all this stuff, eventually, if you work your way back, you get to food selection, uh, food combining, in other words, how much protein, carbohydrates, and fats you require at a given meal in order to maximize your metabolic efficiency, which could be drastically different from your significant other, your husband, your spouse, or other people in your household. It's likely to be drastically different from your best friend, who you may be trying to look like uh, or look better than because you got some kind of competitive edge about yourself. Um, 
you know, and, and sometimes, you know, people start chalking this stuff up to some kind of complicated psychological neurosis that they may have. Like, a, it's, oh, well, I got a food addiction or, uh, you know, I'm trying to eat my feelings and all this kind of stuff. In a lot of cases, and look, I'm not saying that that stuff's not possible in some cases. Uh, you know, that's, that's a real thing. Uh, but in a lot of cases, it's not some crazy, complicated psychological neurosis that somebody has that's preventing them from losing weight. What it is, is they've never been taught how to, they've, they've made a series of really, really bad decisions and they haven't been taught how to make good ones when it comes to food, lifestyle, meal timing, so on and so forth. And those are the things that they need to learn, right? You know, yes, all right, if somebody's got an eating disorder or, you know, they've actually, they've actually got a diagnosis for something like that, that's a different scenario, so don't slam my inbox with all this crap about me being insensitive to people with eating disorders. I've worked with people with eating disorders and all this kind of stuff. I'm saying for the vast majority of people, not being able to lose weight is not some complicated psychological problem. It's simply that they have, they've made really shitty decisions when it comes to their food and what they're doing with themselves and they haven't been taught how to make better ones. Right? That's what I do. Right? I'm, I'm not the dude, and I've said this before, I tell this to everybody that I work with. I'm not. I'm. I'm one of the realest people you'll meet if you if you if you get the the opportunity to meet me, which may be a good opportunity or a bad one. I guess it depends on who you talk to. But I'm 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 very straight up. Uh, unfortunately, I tend to be a, a pretty black and white guy. Right? It's either it's either right or it's wrong. You either you're, you're all in or you're not in at all. It's it's one way or it's not kind of puts me in a sticky situation in some cases because we live in a very gray world but when it comes to stuff like this and teaching people what they need to do with their food and their nutrition and their lifestyle and their how to structure what they're doing to accomplish a given goal I'm not the motivational guy all right I have a very direct style if you listen to my podcast you probably figured that out by now uh, I have a very direct style. It suits people who are highly motivated. And not only are they highly motivated, but they're intrinsically motivated, which basically means they motivate themselves because you're not going to get the motivation from me. I'm not a cheerleader. That's not what I do. Some people do that and they're very good at it. And I think that's fantastic. That's just not what I do. I'm going to teach you the things you need to know and the things that you need to do in order to maximize your resiliency and increase your health to the greatest capacity that is possible for you. And we all have different health ceilings. Um, I'll, I'll probably eventually, I don't know when I'll do my next podcast, but I'll probably do a podcast on that. Uh, but we all have different health ceilings, so on and so forth. Some people are like, man, you know, my best friend treats his body like shit. He's never sick. I do everything right. I try to do all this healthy stuff. Cost me a freaking fortune. I spend all this money. I do all this stuff. I try to get the right amount of sleep, exercise, eat right. And I'm sick all the time. A different health ceiling that, that deals with something that the, the, the Chinese call prehevanescence. Um, so some of this stuff's not really cut and dry. But when it comes to you know, food, all these different factors that I just got finished talking about, oftentimes people just need to know what to do and then they have to go out there and actually do the work right i'm not trying to piss anybody off who might be listening but if you're listening to something like this and you're like oh man i got to keep track of my food i I don't have time for that i can't do that you're damn lazy 
straight up. You just don't want to put in the work, which to me means the end goal isn't all that important to you, which is fine because you're not going to work with a guy like me, <laughs> right? You'll, you'll, you'll probably end up working with somebody else. It's not going to be me. Um, you know, I have a style that suits the, the highly motivated and people who are, are intrinsically motivated to make changes. And if you want to know what changes to make, I'm the guy to ask because I know how to get this stuff done. I've done it for 20, almost 20 years now, very successfully with people who are compliant. If, if you're not compliant and you, you're not willing to, to put in the logs to figure out where you are and what you're doing and, and to start to cultivate and develop some level of awareness around what you're putting into your body and interpreting the signals that your body's telling you or the signals that your body's giving you about what you're eating. You know, if every time you eat chocolate, you get a headache and you can't figure out that you need to stop eating chocolate, that's a problem. All right, that might be a complicated psychological neurosis that you need to go see somebody for. Because to me, that's common sense. Oh, the last 17 times I've eaten chocolate, I've gotten a headache. Okay, what does that tell you? Stop eating that. Well, yeah, but I like chocolate. Who cares? Your body doesn't. <laughs> now, there may come a time later on where you can handle that. Once you create some level of healing... And you bring your physiology up to a point to where you can actually handle something like that. You may be able to have you some chocolate. And it's not going to be that big of a deal. But right now, you're telling me every time you eat chocolate, you get a headache. That's a simple solution for me. My solution is stop eating that crap. Or it could be a couple of other things. Take a look at the source, how much, how often, all these different things. But if every time you're eating it, it's giving you a headache, it's telling you something. The body is literally screaming in your face. And it's time to listen. All right, so all that stuff, those are all roadblocks. I covered, you know, food selection, the dysglycemia, the thyroid issue, detox issues, gut issues, crash dieting, and crazy calorie restrictions and hormonal imbalances. Those are some of the top roadblocks, particularly for females because they're more sensitive in a lot of those areas than males are for being able to lose weight, drop weight, so on and so forth. Right, so if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, well, you know, I'd like to be able to try to start doing something for myself, so on and so forth, start by logging. Give yourself a three to a five-day food log. See where you are, particularly if your weight hasn't changed much and you're, you know, again, it's about to be January and everybody in the whole freaking world is going to try to lose weight. Or, I don't know, maybe now everybody in the whole world is just trying to stay alive. I don't know. But typically around this time of year, well, around this time of year, people are blowing it out and, you know, gaining tons of weight. But come the first of the year, everybody wants to lose weight. Hey, I want to do that. How do I start? How you start? Put yourself logging what you're doing see where you're at what's your what's your average caloric intake over the course of a three to five day period of time you could log for longer if you want but usually three to five days is enough to give you a general idea of what's happening and see where you are and then make adjustments from there you can you can cut by five percent if you're you know if your weight hasn't changed much you know cut by five percent wait two or three weeks see where you're at after that yes you can end up you know, increasing your energy expenditure with, with some, some light exercise and so on and so forth. But just like anything else, if you haven't exercised in years, it doesn't do you any good to go into the gym and beat the holy hell out of yourself for, for six hours a week, starting in week one. That's a bad idea. Even though exercise is a good idea, that approach to it, in my opinion, is a bad idea. Now, having said all that, what I can tell you from personal experience, working with I don't even know how many thousands of people over the last 20 years, 
uh, eliminating grains which is pretty much anything made from a flour unless it's a rice flour or a uh, like a coconut flour eliminating your grains is a fantastic way to help yourself in the right direction if you're trying to drop weight in my opinion no human being alive should be consuming gluten and or gliadin containing grains I have lots of reasons for that that I don't have time to get into but eliminating grains in my opinion outside of possibly rice buckwheat and millet assuming they're organic sources rice would be uh, like an organic jasmine rice or uh, basmati rice or basmati however you want to say it uh, corn is, is technically a, a, a gluten gliadin free grain but it's universally contaminated plus it's mostly cellulose when I designed to eat that crap whatever eliminating grains is a fantastic way to, to move yourself in the right direction in terms of weight loss I've seen people eliminate grains for a month and drop crazy amounts of weight now most of that is, is fluid in the initial stages of things they're just holding on to a lot of, of fluid secondary to whatever you know inflammatory responses that are happening uh, you know because of ingesting the grains or, or what have you but uh, you know I've seen 12 14 16 pound losses in a month from eliminating grains now that's not something that's going to be sustained you're not going to lose that amount of weight every month because as I said you know usually in the first couple of two or three weeks about 60 to 70 percent of the weight that you lose is is from water uh, or just fluid that you're that you're likely to have been holding on to for a number of different reasons um that happens a lot whenever people drop their carbohydrate content. Uh, they'll lose a, a crap ton of weight initially uh, when they're doing like a keto thing or a paleo thing or whatever you want to call it. And a lot of that initial weight loss is just fluid. Because uh, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, carbohydrates are very, uh, you know, water friendly. They can make their way into a cell and they bring water with it. Uh, I think for every one gram of carbohydrate that gets absorbed, something like three or four grams of water goes with it. So whenever you're dropping carbohydrate consumption, so on and so forth, and you're doing things like that, you're going to, you know, the vast majority of the weight that you're losing in the first couple of weeks is, is water, fluid, fluid weight. But I can't say from experience, eliminating grains is fantastic. Eliminating dairy for most people is fantastic as well because most people can't tolerate it. Uh, it you know, taking the evolutionary biology out of it, and aside from the fact that we're not really designed to drink the milk of another mammal, uh, or another animal for that matter uh, there's there's tons of problems with commercial milk nowadays uh, I, I won't get into that but most people don't have the capacity to tolerate much if any dairy at all usually when people work with me I recommend that they get off of it for at least three months sometimes as long as six months if they're really a mess they might have to avoid it for a year uh, personally I don't have any dairy whatsoever in my diet outside of real butter um, So, you know, eliminating grains and dairy, is, those, are, those are fantastic uh, ways to, to push yourself in a positive direction. Uh, now, if, you're, you know, taking all, if you have a diet that's high in those things, then you have to take a look at how you're going to make up the caloric deficit so that you don't end up dropping more than that, you know, 5 or 7% or so uh, based on what your, what your caloric uh, intake has been. 
You know, so the, the, there is some there is some art and science uh, to the whole gig of it, but <clears throat> you know, eliminating uh, gluten and gliadin containing grains and eliminating dairy is a fantastic way to move yourself in the right direction if your overall objective is either health and or weight loss. Um, of course, you know, muscle tends to be pretty metabolically active tissue, right? So, I mean, the more muscle you have, the easier it is to, to lose to lose fat. So doing something to build some muscle in an intelligent manner, uh, you know, which may require you to hire somebody who knows something about how to do that in a smart way uh, rather than just, you know, moving around aimlessly in the gym doing random things or paying a, a trainer who isn't really worth their salt just to beat the hell out of you uh, so that you feel like you quote unquote got a good workout that doesn't always equate to the result that you're after right so that's a you know I don't even know where I'm at right now uh, where am I what was coming up on a some shit, one hour and 12 minutes of you know my basics on female weight loss or you know if you want to be a little more technical about it female fat loss so on and so forth determining calorie needs how you might be able to go about doing that with these cool really intelligent sounding formulas by these people who are way smarter than I am or you can just take a look at a three or five day food log see where you're at and start changing things from there particularly if your weight has been consistent and it hasn't moved for a while and you haven't changed much um, you know the calories in versus the calories out game it's a cool game sometimes it works in a lot of cases that I've seen it doesn't um, and most of the people that end up consulting with me have already played that game for quite some time and they're at such a calorie deficit now that it you know, they're barely eating any food, exercising a ton, and they're gaining weight as a result of that. So when you see case after case after case like that, like I have, it kind of draws in just common sense wise, draws the whole calories in versus calories out game under a significant amount of scrutiny because it just doesn't add up. Um, and then we, you know, ran my mouth a little bit about some of the roadblocks. You know, get a handle on your food selection. Right? Get a handle on your meal frequency. Get a handle on uh, regulating your blood sugar. So eating frequently enough to where you don't, you can avoid severe blood sugar swings. Right? If you do all those foundational type things first, then some of the other stuff like thyroid function and detox and gut issues and crash diets and hormonal imbalance and all that kind of stuff doesn't really necessarily create too many problems um, but the foundational factors have to be in place so that's my two cents maybe three cents on female weight loss you know hopefully you know I gave you guys something that was beneficial here if you have questions about things send it to me through you know whatever your chosen medium of communication might be you know, my website the social media stuff send a carrier pigeon you know put an actual letter in the mail I don't care what you do 
you know, get at me with whatever questions you might have. I could do a follow-up uh, podcast on the questions just probably that I'll get from the stuff that I put out here. Uh, so as always, I appreciate you guys for listening. Sorry it's been so long. Hopefully my next one won't be, you know, six or eight weeks from now, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, feel free to share the podcast with somebody that you might think, you know, would give a damn about listening to me run my mouth for a little while. Um, check out the website, you know, all my social media stuff's on there somewhere. Um, it's n8movewell.com. Uh, and I'll see you guys next Well, I won't see anybody, but I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks again. Y'all have a good one. That concludes this episode. Thank you for listening to Brandon Speaks. Feel free to reach out to Brandon via his website, www.innatemovewell.com. You can also send any thoughts you may have or suggest future podcast topics to innatemovewell at gmail.com. Brandon would love to hear from you. Follow him on his social media sites, which can be accessed through his website. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button, leave a review, and share this podcast with anyone interested in taking their performance, health, and wellness to the next level. Hope to see you on the next episode. Until then, support the process of healing. And thanks again for listening to Brandon Speaks.